Good morning, Unity Spiritual Center once more. I think I frightened some ladies when we were doing a test, and the gentleman back there asked me to say something, and I started talking, and I guess with today being Halloween, they couldn't see where the voice was coming from. It was just me. So anyway, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for the message. I'm excited that it's a beautiful day, because when I left home, it was raining. And the further west I came, the sunnier it became, and the more joyful it became. So today I'm going to talk about chapter 15 and 17 in Adventures in Resilience. And I have enjoyed being a part of the book study. I'm grateful to have been able to participate. And yesterday... I was part of a class this weekend about, guess what, the 12 powers. <laughs> now, sometimes when people say 12 powers, we get an instant case of I-K-T. I know that. Okay. But what was pointed out in this class is that the 12 powers are always working. So it's not enough just to know them and what disciple was with them. And they, they kind of downplayed that because they said some of them didn't fit. But we'll talk about those today a little bit. So they gave us another set of cards. I have quite a few sets of cards with the 12 powers on them. So I pulled out zeal and life for today. And zeal, of course, is our power of joy and enthusiasm, okay? So just a few words about zeal. Well, first of all, zeal is one of those words that are examples of onomatopoeia. And when I used to teach, we used to talk about onomatopoeia, where the word sounds like what it says. The scene noises, honk, beep, vroom, clang. If you ever watched that old Batman show where he would bonk, and they would put the words up on the screen. So that's what onomatopoeia is. And zeal is, we tease them out every month, and we go once a month, this thing of, you know, we're going to pull this one out and talk about it. And that's all well and good. But we have to remember that the 12 powers are always in operation, and we can't apply them in our life. So when you just focus on what the color is or what it means, you know, and then we forget about it until the next month when the next power comes along. These powers are always working, and you can put them to work for you in your life to make your life better. So, just a few words about it. Uh, we are using the powers all the time, as I said, and this echoes the fifth unity principle, walk the talk, we walk the talk. We walk the talk. It's been in my head all night because Bonnie had shared this song with me back during the pandemic when she and Jerry used to come on. And I asked her if I could have it because I was going to share it with another congregation. Well, that congregation said, no, we can't do that because we don't have people singing and, you know, whatever. So I didn't get a chance to use it, but I've always kept it in the back of my mind. So we have to walk the talk. So we use our 12 powers to walk the talk. And that's why the 12 powers are such a foundational part of unity. 
So zeal is the inner flame that burns brightly for all to see. It is the impulse to go forward. Okay, just like that Amazon sign starts at A and goes all the way to Z, goes forward. The impulse to go forward. It is um, the urge behind all things. It's the engine behind all things. So Charles Fillmore said that zeal is the impulse to go forward. Without zeal, stagnation, inertia, and death will prevail throughout the universe. A person without zeal is like an engine without steam or an electric motor without a current. So Charles Fillmore was led at the age of 93, 94. It depends on what source you uh, consult. But at the age of 93 or 94, he said, I fairly sizzled, another one of those words, with zeal and enthusiasm. And I spring forth with a mighty faith to do all that ought to be done by me. So try saying that one in the morning. There's nowhere in the world you can stay in bed behind something like that. <laughs> so, um, so, and also a scripture I'll share with you is in Revelation 3, 15, and 16, which says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. So, this is the argument for being either you're wildly enthusiastic or you don't care at all. You know, accent the positive, do away with the negative. And let Mr. In-Between go. So that's what it means to be lukewarm. So if you are lukewarm in expressing your powers, that's not as beneficial as if you were cold, uh, hot or even cold. Because at least you're not ambiguous. At least you're not indefinite about it. So Simon the Canaanite, one of my early unity teachers, wrote a book on the 12 powers. And she talked about Simon the Canaanite. He was part of a group called the Zealots. See where the word came from? And the Zealots were a group who was against the Romans. That's where many people in Jesus' time were. But they kind of took it to another degree. And they would hide out in the woods and they would attack the Romans and, you know, do all kinds of things like some radical groups do. But once he became under the direction of the Christ, or once he became one of the disciples, he started to use that energy for good of all concerns. So Reverend Hausman talks about him being the zealot and how when he was with the zealot, he was a different kind of person. But once he became under the direction of the Christ principle, he used those powers for another end, for another means. All right, so zeal works most effectively when directed by the Christ or the Christ principle. Otherwise, it can tend towards materialistic aims and goals rather than spiritual pursuits. So zeal, when it's out of balance, and this was one of the things they talked about in the workshop, was having your powers and using them in balance. So we can't go too far right you can't go too far left. Overly zealous, underzealous, or not as effective. So we have to find 
what they called in the workshop the sweet spot. So that's what we do with all of our powers. And we also keep in mind that even though we single them out, we do know that they all work together for our good. So zeal, an example of the zeal being overly zealous, is the zeal of my house that eats me up. Okay, which means that you become so zealous, so overzealous, until you become innervated, nervous, irritable, and you wear yourself out. And this is kind of what they were doing when they were up in the mountains. And another one is, um, my zeal has consumed me. That's from Psalm 69.9. So all these things zeal does, when not properly directed, leads to a feeling of feeling drained of your energy or vitality. Now, light, light is the other power that was put together with zeal in the book. I like the way they paired them, okay? And I've seen them paired before, but not quite in the way that's in this book. So light, of course, is the generative organ, the uh, organ that is the origin of birth, where birth stems from. And we also know, well, people think, well, sex. But it's not always sex. Sex energy is creative energy. So that's what life is all about, the creative energy. And, of course, the disciple for life was Judas. Now, Judas doesn't have such a good reputation in some quarters. And every Monday Thursday, when I was at Unity of Greater Cleveland, we used to do a ritual in which our minister would wash the feet of the different people who had chosen the different disciples. So we had 12 volunteers for 12 disciples, and she would go through and we would do a service and we would wash the feet. She would wash the feet of the disciples. Well, there was one um, elderly lady, and she's still, she's still around, she's still working, and every Easter, she would raise her hand and say, I want to be Judas. And everybody's looking at her. You want to be Judas? I want to be Judas because if it were not for Judas, we wouldn't have this Easter. So every Easter, she would wear that red uh, symbol. And the red, by the way, is, is blood. It's the life energy. So that's where that comes from. So Reverend Connor gives us... Um, some examples. Uh, life is progress, attainment, and mastery. And of course, the disciple is Judas, and nobody wanted to be Judas. But, you know, you have to look at it this way. Judas was had a good intention, or so he thought it was a good intention. So we can't just condemn Judas, because like he said, Judas prompted all the events that led to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and eventually to this wonderful ministry called Unity. Okay, now, and we're going to um, make sure that the name of Unity gets out there. It's always called Best Kept Secret, you know? So we need to get that out there, that Unity is not a secret. Now, Judas was replaced by Matthias. And they went through a whole thing yesterday about Matthias, who Matthias was, and how he was chosen 
to replace Judas. Well, Matthias is, re- is representative of a higher expression of the life principle. So actually, we had 13 disciples, because once Judas was gone, then Matthias became the 13th. Now, Reverend Connors gives us several examples of both powers of zeal and life. And she talks about how she was at the zoo, San Diego Zoo, one day with her grandson, and there was a hot air balloon. And he was excited about everything but the hot air balloon. And I know some of you have read this. And he said, no way am I going up in that. So the more they talked and the more they interacted, she finally got into the point where he said, okay, well, we'll try it. And he went up in the balloon, and as he rose in the balloon, so did his enthusiasm. So by the time he came down, that was really cool. You know, so that's an example of zeal in practice. Okay, another example is uh, the musician. His name was McLaughlin, I believe. And he was a virtuoso guitarist and composer. And he came down with some kind of illness. He didn't say what. But he got to the point where he couldn't perform. He couldn't play his guitar. So what did he do? Prompted by his power of zeal, he learned to play the guitar a different way. And he has an album. He has a CD. He don't say album anymore. He has a CD called Into the Light. And me being curious as I am, I went to YouTube and I looked it up and I saw this presentation of him doing this into the light. So that's another example of zeal that she did. She gives. Uh, zeal saved the day for him. Okay? Even Charles Fillmore, you know, he was a little late to jump on the bandwagon because, you know, actually started unity. And <laughs> Oh, rotten tomatoes, please. Um, Myrtle, <laughs> Myrtle was the one who caught it on, caught on first. And she actually sat and she spoke life to every part of her body. And she reawakened the parts of her body that were dying. And she cured herself. And Charles looked at that, you know, because he was so scientific. You know, she can't, this can't do anything. But she proved that she could heal herself. So he jumped on. He came on board. And this led to his own miraculous healing. And if you ever go to Unity Village, on some buildings, <coughs> the elevation of the steps are lower because Charles Fillmore had a leg that had been shortened. And it's actually proven that he did manage to elongate it. But those steps are like that to accommodate his uh, disability or what would have been a disability for him so that he could fairly sizzle the zeal and enthusiasm and spring forth with that mighty life to do all that ought to be done by him. Examples of life that Sharon Connors talks about, the main one that I can think of, I like her her examples, but I like to give my own too. Main one that I want to talk about is going to happen at 1 p.m. today. Okay? Cleveland Brown fans. Okay? 
I once, and I'm not a big football fan, but I once heard Mike Ditka, who used to be the coach of the Chicago Bears, they were interviewing him, and they were talking about fans. And he said, if you want to see fans, get on the bus and go to Cleveland. Okay? So that's going to happen today at 1 p.m. Now, when I was a little girl growing up in the Baptist church, you know, and Baptists are notorious for having long services. But on the days that the Browns were playing, he'd get us out of there by 1230 because he wanted to watch the game, too. Okay. So that's how that works. Cleveland Browns fan. The author talks about how she wanted to, she had this desire to go to Mishimashu Kishu. I think that's how you pronounce it, Peru that became, started growing in her or started um, attracting her when she was in high school. So she took out a picture, remember, treasure mapping? Took out a picture and put it in a notebook. And then eventually she was able to manifest that. And she said that it was more beautiful than she imagined that it would be. So that's another example. Uh, one example is, some of you know that, that I speak at other churches. And one of the churches I speak at had a, a woman who uh, just recently made her transition at the end of September. And this woman was an exemplar example of the dash. How many of you have heard the poem The Dash or heard it mentioned in funerals? Okay, the dash is the time between when you are born and when you make your transition. And the dash is a metaphor for what you do in between, okay? And I've heard this several times, unfortunately, or maybe not so unfortunately. I've been to a lot of funerals this year, conducted a few. <laughs> but a lot of people do that, the dash poem. And if you ever want to get a copy of it, I will be happy to share it with you. But she was a woman who was extremely interested in education. And she became a nurse. She earned degrees in nursing. She went on to become a nurse. And she was a psychiatric nurse for the duration of her career. And in the process of doing her job, she met her husband, the love of her life. And they never had children. She said, we, not that we didn't try not to have children. It just never happened for us. But they spent their time traveling extensively. And she continued to travel after he made his transition. So she was using her power of will and her power of life to move on. And she was saddened by it. But she did manage to move on. She volunteered in many organizations. She was physical fitness nut. She had a bicycle that she rode every day. And she was really involved in her life and in lots of things. Well, this past spring, she was diagnosed with cancer. And she decided that she was not going to seek treatment because her life had been full. And she wasn't going to waste her time being sick from chemo and radiation. And you know all the things that they do here are diagnosed with cancer. She decided she didn't want to do that. So she didn't. And the last Sunday that she was there was one Sunday when I was there speaking. And we had kind of become friends because she scheduled the speakers 
So we became friends through our emails, and we went out to lunch a couple of times and um, different things. And we had become friends, more or less. And the last day that she was there was the Sunday that I spoke, and she returned a book, one of the books that you've done here for a book study. She returned a book, the one by Abraham X. Kendi, and she told me, she says, well, I'm not going to have time to read it. I'm going to give it back to you, okay, because he had gotten her diagnosis, and she knew she didn't have uh, much longer to live. But she was very open, very, very open for someone who is 85 years old. Now, think about all the stereotypical ideas you have about 85-year-old people. To look at you, look at her, you would never know she was 85 years old because that's how she lived her life in a dynamic way. A beautiful person, a beautiful life. And she made her transition, and she said it was okay to call her, and she would answer if she felt like it. If she didn't, she'd get back to me. So the last time that I saw her, she texted me and thanked me for my friendship, and I texted her back. Now, she's texting. She texted me back. And I texted her back, and I said, thank you for your friendship. I've enjoyed our friendship. And that was the last time that we were actually in each other's company and the last time we heard from each other. And then one last time, I did text her, but she didn't answer. She didn't respond. Her neighbor, who had been helping with her care, responded and said she was just in so much pain, she just decided to go to hospice. You know, and cash cash it all in. So she went into hospice and she died less than 24 hours later. But it was a life well filled with many activities, with many examples of goodness. She and her husband provided scholarships for nursing students. And her life was in truly unstuck, unstuck and unstoppable. So... How do we become unstuck and unstoppable? Well, first thing, we need not become stuck. Okay. And if you find yourself becoming stuck, get on the stick. You know? Use your 12 powers. Become aware of them. They're not just something that we learn on Sunday and then we let go. They're always at work. So, Use them to your advantage. Okay, so that's one way that we become unstuck and unstuckable. Unstuck and unstoppable, excuse me. So focus in on what gives you joy in life. And this was in one of the other books that they talked about the joy. So what gives you joy? Giving gave her joy. Volunteering gave her joy. Keeping physically fit kept her joyful. Traveling, and she finally um, confided in me after her last long trip. And she used to take some exotic trips. I'm not going on any more long trips. I'll just take short jobs from now on. And right before she knew she was dying, she went to visit her relatives in Virginia, and she was going to drive. And so I I said, "Well, you sure you want to do that? Why don't you stop somewhere and spend the night?" Oh no, I'm going to drive straight through. And that's what she did. She drove straight through and she came back. And she said, the only problem I had was the room. 
So that's an example of a life that was unstuck and unstoppable. So I charge all of you today, all of us in here, to be unstuck and unstoppable. Namaste. Okay.